0: Uh, Well, happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, Thank you again for for being here. Um, We are really excited. We are so excited about uh, this building, this new space for us to meet in. We're really excited about this new season uh, that TNL is entering into. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, I wasn't expecting, but I quickly was very excited about last week, the first time I sat down in one of those chairs, I was like, wow. Man, after eight years of like black folding plastic chairs, these feel like heaven. <laughs> um, and uh, something I, I noticed last week, uh, that it doesn't matter where TNL moves to. One thing will always be true, and that is the front row will be the very last space filled in. So good for you guys <laughs> for being brave. Uh, before we get started tonight, I wanted to talk to you real quick about Easter. You may have heard of it. Uh, this year, we are having an Easter evening service. We're doing like a little mini uh, acoustic service um, with some, uh, we'll do communion together. Uh, it'll be mo- kind of more infin- infinite. It'll be an infinite service. You'll be here forever. Intimate. Uh, out there in the cafe. And then we'll have dessert together afterwards, similar to what we're going to do tonight. Um, so hang out with your family in the morning, maybe uh, go to church with them at a place that they go to, and then come in the evening with us and have dessert and a little mini service. Uh, we're asking people to please register at tnl.org slash Easter just so that we know how much food to buy. And if too many people register, too many. If more people than fit in the cafe register, then we'll just do the service in here and then go eat out there. Um, it should be a good time. And I, I, I hope to see you there. I'll be there, so I really hope to see some of you there. All right, so in this Lent series that we've been going through, uh, we've been going through the final discourse of Jesus in the Gospel of John, uh, chapters 13 through 17. This is not the last week of Lent, but this is the last week that we'll be looking at the final discourse, uh, which is Jesus' last teaching to his closest friends. The entire four or five chapters is really incredible. And we've been able to touch on a few of the highlights. But as I said last week, I would really encourage you to read through these chapters on your own. Um, there's just a lot that we haven't had time to get to that's really amazing. Uh, so tonight we're in the last chapter of the final discourse. And here Jesus caps off this long monologue of thoughts to his closest friends with a prayer for them uh, that takes up the whole chapter. I'm gonna read the entire thing for us tonight, but But it's important for you to realize while you're hearing this, that this is Jesus praying. He's not teaching. He's not exhorting. He's praying. And it's this rare little uh, vignette where we get to eavesdrop on God, uh, Jesus's conversation with God, which is pretty amazing if if you think about it. So I'm going to read it for you. Uh, It's not going to be up on the screens. I just want you to listen. And I know it's, it's the end of a long day, so sometimes paying attention is difficult. <laughs> we're all tired, we're all distracted, and I really want you to listen to this. So uh, I just want you to relax. Take a deep breath. If you notice, if you're someone like me, that you're sitting there with your fists clenched, <laughs> unclench them. If you're pushing your tongue into the roof of your mouth, relax. Close your eyes if that helps. And here we go. This is John 17. Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your son so the son in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real and eternal life to all in his care. And this is the real and eternal life, that they know you the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. I spelled out your character to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place, then you gave them to me And they have now done what you said. They know now beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. And for the message you gave me, I gave them. And they took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours, and yours is mine. And my life is on display in them. For I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me so they can come, so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life you gave through me. I even posted a lookout And not one of them got away, except for the rebel bent on destruction. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it. Because they didn't join the world's ways. Just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so there'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me. Because of them and their witness about me, the goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, send me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Father, I want those that you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you, and these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being, being known to them, who you are and what you do and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. This, my friends, uh, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So before we dig into a portion of this prayer that I just read tonight, I want you to think about this question. How do you feel when someone prays out loud for you? how do you feel when someone prays out loud for you? Uh, I asked a few of you that question this morning, and the answer I got back um, is not surprising, but it suggests that it all depends on context, right? Uh, First, most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us have experienced the context where someone is praying out loud for you, but (laughs) it's more in a way to tell you something. Um, Like kind of passive-aggressively, they're not actually praying for you, they're sort of praying to God at you, uh, like, God, please reveal the truth to this person in front of me. Help them see the error of their ways and, and to see that you agree with me and that they're wrong. They don't usually say those words, but that's like the gist of it, right? <laughs> that always just feels strange and weird. But put, put that context aside for a minute. Let's talk about people who are genuinely praying for you it still seems like context matters. Every single person I asked said that if they didn't know the person praying for them, they would feel really awkward and uncomfortable. But if they did know the person, they would feel uh, vulnerable in a good way. Um, Seen, loved, known. Like getting exactly what they needed and didn't even know that they needed it. There's an intimacy that comes in praying out loud for people, which is what can make it feel so awkward when we don't really know the person. It it feels too intimate for that context. But when we do know that person, when we have a relationship with that person, it can be an incredibly powerful experience when someone prays out loud for you. Well, I don't know if you heard it in that long prayer that I read, um, but that's exactly what's happening in the part of of Jesus' prayer that is going to be our focus tonight. Jesus is praying for you and for me and for us. This is the part that we're really going to focus on. We're starting in verse 20. This will be up on the screens for you. Uh, Jesus said, I'm praying not only for the 11 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you so they might be one heart and mind in, with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are, I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give this godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way that you've loved me. There's some big statements that Jesus makes in that little section where he's praying for us. Big statements that have huge implications for you and I today. How is it that Jesus thinks the world will know that he is who he says he is? I don't know if you caught it, but it's through our unity. The world will know that Jesus is who he says he is by our unity. We've been talking about this a lot, this series. That's intense. That's like, there's a lot of pressure in that statement. Because when the world looks at the church today, are we so united that the, that all the world sees is the work and will of God? Does the world see us united in willing even one thing or, or united in willing anything? Does it see us united in love for one another? I mean, I, I obviously don't know about most individual churches in the world to be able to answer this. But in general, taken as a whole, I think when the world looks at the church, it sees Um, An entity that is just as fractured and divided as any institution made up of human beings any place else on the earth. So, what happened? Was Jesus just being really idealistic here in this prayer? Was he being unrealistic? Was he praying in vain? Not at all. In fact, just a few short months after Jesus prays this prayer, After he has gone away, his prayer is answered when God sends the Holy Spirit to each of Jesus' first followers and the church first forms. We read about this in Acts where it says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were unified in heart, in mind, in substance. And as a result, the world saw that and wanted that, and they grew like crazy. In a way never seen before, Jew and Gentile were united together, becoming one humanity, becoming a new humanity. We are only here tonight because of that unity and what it did to change the world. This new humanity is our legacy and it's our calling because the church is meant to be a foretaste of when the earth is filled with God. Now, I don't think the point of this is for us to try to recreate the early church. I think the New Testament makes it pretty clear that the church is supposed to be agile and nimble and adaptable to its context. I've heard, and you probably have too, plenty of people say, we just have to get back to the early church, to Acts. But I I just don't think that's true. Obviously, we don't live in first century Israel. That's not our context. We shouldn't try to recreate that context. It wouldn't make any sense. Or, Or it wouldn't even be practical. When I hear people say, like, we just need to get back to that early church, one of the things that I ask them is, should we go around speaking Koine Greek and Aramaic to each other? The answer, of course, is no, that would be ridiculous, that would be insane. And no one would have any idea what we're talking about, which is kind of the opposite of what we're going for. The point isn't for us to try to look the same as that church. The point is to see their unity and see our own calling to be unified in our context. But how do you actually do that? Jesus actually told us how already. Back at the beginning of this final discourse and over and over again throughout it, uh, but if you remember back at the first week of Lent, when we talked about John 13, Jesus shows us how to achieve this kind of unity. John 13 talks about how deeply Jesus loved his friends and how in an effort to express the full extent of his love for them, he, he, um, while he's sharing a meal with them, he takes off his outer clothing, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets a basin of water. And he proceeds to take the position of a slave and wash the feet of each of his friends. Each whom he knows are about to abandon him. Even Judas, who he knows is about to betray him. And after he finishes washing their feet, he tells them that he did this as an example for them. He says, see what I did. You should do the same. You should wash one another's feet. You should love one another the way that I've loved you. This is how people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So you see, the key to unity is what it seems like we've been talking about this whole time. The key to unity is love. Unity is the fruit, the the result of love. We become united when we love one another in response to God's love for us. And not love in an abstract, like fuzzy, warm feeling kind of thing, but love put into literal action. Humble deeds of practical service are what breed unity. And please notice that I am saying unity and not uniformity. We're not called to all be the same. Just like we're not called to try to be those same people 2,000 years ago, we're not called to be the same people within our church. The New Testament makes it pretty clear that we're each given unique gifts and talents and insights, but they're all to be used toward building up one another. We each have a job, but but we also each have the same goal, building up the body of Christ. Unity doesn't even mean that we all think the same way. Not, not even close. Unity means that even when we disagree with each other, we still love each other. And that It's so easy to say, but that is so wildly countercultural more and more and more. More and more these days, it feels like the larger culture around us is telling us to cut ties with anyone and everyone who doesn't absolutely agree with some very narrow view (laughs) or position that we take of some incredibly complicated issue. And the idea of disagreeing with people and still really, truly, deeply loving them is becoming... Unknown. Listen, you can have deep disagreements with people that are significant. And those disagreements lose a lot of their power when the the person that you disagree with is making you dinner. Those disagreements are quickly disarmed when you're watching those people's kids for them. Those disagreements mean nothing when when those people that you disagree with are praying out loud for you and over you after your world falls apart. Disagreements fall in rank behind love when we're helping the people we disagree with make rent that month. This is what the church is meant to be. This is the kind of unity that we're talking about. I don't I don't know about you but that sounds really compelling to me. Like I I want that. I hope it sounds compelling to you. And I think we see glimpses of this in our community already but I I want more. Can you imagine how compelling and attractive this kind of unity would be to uh, just the Denver metro area? We're called to follow Jesus' lead. We're called to love one another in act, not just in thought. We're called to humble acts of practical service for one another. So it's, it's really simple. The, the, the question for you and I is where can we demonstrate the humble love of Christ in our everyday life? And so maybe quite honestly, the question each of us should ask ourselves every single morning is where can I practically demonstrate the humble love of Christ today? And if we are true to actually pursuing this, this will take our entire lives to figure out. Every single day. Every single day there is something new that God is bringing to us. Again, can you imagine the kind of unity that we'd experience if that was our posture towards each other? That kind of unity changes trajectories of lives. And this is what Jesus prayed for for us. This is what we're called to. This is our great undertaking day in and day out. Where can I practically demonstrate the humble love of Christ today? This is where our focus is going to be as we start this new season in this new place. What does growing in love for one another look like? What does it mean to be a church community? How can we respond to Jesus' prayer? Make them one. One way that we're, we're going to pursue that, that I'm really excited about, is the series that we're going to start after Easter. Um, we're going to go through a, a classic book on Christian community from an incredibly wise man whose context in his day looks more and more like our own. That's all I'm going to say about that for now. But I hope that you'll join us starting at the end of this month for that. Because we want to be a community that reveals God to the world through our unity by the ways that we love one another. Would you pray with me? God, we know that we, uh, we need you to make us one. We know it's not something that we can do on our own. But God, I pray that we would grow Um, in love for one another. I pray that the world would see something different in this community. And God, I pray that we would reveal you to the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.